Doing pretty good. Um, I just want to be honest with all of you. I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling because after last week's teaching, I've never been so critiqued for the way I say different words, okay? <laughs> it's like you heard last week's teaching on being a peacemaker, and you're like, I get the assignment. It's time to choose violence. <laughs> so apparently, it's not almond, nor is it almond. Apparently, it's almond. Yeah, and, and I just want to say in front of all of you, I cast that spirit out of here in the name of Jesus. No, I, I'm not going to say that, Ammond. Uh, I was talking with the staff last week after the um, service, just getting encouragement and counseling because I so deeply needed it after all the critique. And Brian Cobley is from Modesto, California, and he said that they grow almonds there. And, and the thing is that when the, when the nut is on the tree, it's called an almond, and then when they shake it off, it's an almond. And that just sent me for a tailspin. I had to take a personal day for the rest of the day. Needless to say, I'm like deeply insecure and uncertain about how to say words in front of all of you right now. And don't get me started on uh, you guys critiquing me for saying GIF, okay? That was, some of you won't even look me in the eyes anymore. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5. And last, like I said last week, we're spending um, some time in the Sermon on the Mount in order for us as a church to figure out how we might navigate our way forward through these divisive and uncertain times. And if last weekend is, in, is indicative of anything, um, we have a long way to go, right? <laughs> uh, but they say that before things get better, typically they have to get worse. So that's okay. Last week, just to review real quick, we saw that Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. He calls us to enter into spaces and places of conflict in order to bring true peace. And, and remember, true peace is more than simply the absence of conflict. True peace is bringing wholeness and healing and healthiness in our relationships with God and with others in all of those places. And like we learned last week, Jesus is the quintessential peacemaker. And so we look to him and as we follow him, we embrace his way of making peace, which is seeing others through his eyes, immersing ourselves in their stories, and then contending for peace on their behalf. Now this week we're going to jump into a different section of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm sure many of us are familiar with this section, and so before we jump in and read the text, I just want to encourage all of you that I know you might be familiar with it, and I know you might hear this and be like, yeah, I get it, I've heard this passage dozens of times in my life if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, but I would encourage all of us this morning to pause and take a moment to engage and lean in to what Jesus would have for us this morning because I think that if we do, we can encounter this passage in a fresh way. My hope and my prayer is that the Spirit would use this very familiar passage in a fresh way in our church this morning. And so Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, this is Jesus teaching and he says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. And you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. And people do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. And so in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father 
in heaven. And so here's the, fir- the first thing I want us to pull from this passage today, and it's this. You are able to do more than you know because you are more valuable than you can imagine. You are able to do more than you know because you are more valuable than you can imagine. And let me unpack this thought in light of the story of Scripture just so you know I'm not um, spouting any sort of overly positive or self-help kind of stuff right now. We see this throughout the Scripture that what God does is, is he takes people who don't look like much and he uses them to do much for him. That's the way God works. He takes people who don't look like much and he pulls them from their ordinary, mundane existences and, 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 he, and he fills them with his spirit and he uses them in powerful ways. He takes people who don't look like much to do much through them. And we see this throughout scripture. We see this in the story of Abraham. We see this in the story of Ruth. We see this in the story of David. We see this in the story of Mary. Time and time again, God uses the weak to lead the strong. He takes people who don't look like much to do much for him. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing as he's teaching this sermon close by him. He would have had his disciples and with this specific teaching, In these four short verses, what Jesus is doing is he's calling things out of his disciples that they wouldn't have known about themselves. He recognizes their gifts. He recognizes their power and their potential. And he does all of this by simply calling them salt and calling them light. Because you see, in Jesus' day, salt and light were extremely valuable commodities. Like today, salt and light, we just, we have them in spades. Like if someone came up to you on the road and said, hey, excuse me, excuse me, um, you are salt. You are light. We would be like, you are crazy, okay? (laughs) What are you on right now? Stay away from, but back in Jesus' time, these things were extremely valuable. And so to be called salt, to be called light, would have been tremendously empowering. Like it'd be similar to if someone came up to you today and they, they said to you, you are gasoline, right? Like then we'd be like, okay, yeah, I go, wow, I'm so flattered. Thank you, that's, that's, that's really something else, thank you. But salt and light back then were extremely valuable commodities and to be called salt and light would have been so important. Jesus was pulling out their potential Jesus was pulling out their calling. He was assigning them their purpose. In essence, what Jesus was saying to them was he was saying you are able to do more than you know because you are more valuable than you can imagine. And what's so life-giving about this statement is this value that Jesus acknowledges in his own disciples and in us this morning is that this is a gift. This is not, we, we've done nothing to earn this identity. Just like we saw last week with our identities as children of God, this identity is gifted to us. It's given to us. Jesus doesn't say that you are going to have salt or you are going to have a light. No, no, he doesn't say that you're going to be salt or be light when I'm done with you, when you follow my disciple program. No, no, he says you are salt, you are light. Present tense verb right there. He gifts this to us. He he says this to his disciples as he's teaching before they've done anything, before they've taught, before they've preached, before they've healed anyone. He says, you are salt, you are light. Listen, church, Jesus 
is a God that affirms us. He calls out the best in us. He affirms and calls out our purpose and our potential. And he says to us as a church, he says, you are salt. You are light. You are able to do more than you know because you are more valuable than you can imagine. However, for like 99% of us as we walk into this room, this is not the internal dialogue going on in our minds, is it, right? There's like the 1% of us that walk in and they're like, no one understands how valuable I am, right? (laughs) But for most of us, we walk in and we are marked by disappointment. We're drowning in our disappointments. We we, we focus on our failures. There are some of us here today who, who might be out of a job and we just feel like our life is purposeless, or maybe our job kind of feels like a dead-end job or beneath us, and, and, and we just feel like we're floundering right now. Some of us here might be dealing with health issues, and they're just constantly nagging on us, and we want them to go away, and we just feel this weakness in our lives. Some of us, maybe we are dealing with some major relational fallout, and we carry that with us everywhere, and we feel marked by that, and we feel defined by that relational fallout. Maybe some of us, we haven't quite achieved the success in our lives that we thought we would at this point, and so we question our worth, and we question our value. Some of us, maybe it's just the chaos of life, and it's so overwhelming, and it washes over us, and we just feel so disoriented by life. Listen, Jesus is speaking to you. This word here this morning is for you. He's giving this word to ordinary people, people who were under the shadow of the oppressive Roman Empire, people who questioned their value, people who questioned their worth, people who had relational fallout, people who questioned their purpose, people who wondered, what is my life for? And Jesus says to them, he says, you are salt, you are light, you are, more, you are able to do more than you know because you are more valuable than you can imagine. There's this movie that came out about 10 years ago called The Help. You guys familiar with this movie, The Help? Based on a book called um, The Help. Um, but I've only ever seen the movie. And in this movie, it's about these, these two African-American maids, their, their life, their story, and their struggle, and, and one of these, these maids, her name is Abilene, and she works in this home with this really angry, uh, uh, oppressive, hateful, racist woman, and, and she struggles in this home, and, and one of the things that she does, one of the most moving scenes in this movie is, is she cares for this, this woman's four-year-old daughter who also suffered at the neglect and the anger of her mother, and every single day, do you know what she would say to her? She would say, you is kind. You is smart. You is important. Every single day she would say, you is kind. You is smart. You is important. And see, this is what Jesus is doing here. He's saying to us very ordinary, very broken people, people who tend to focus on our failures, people who are uh, drowning in our disappointment. He says, listen, you are salt. You are light. You are are important, and so it's so, so deeply important for us to acquaint ourselves with this identity that Jesus has gifted us with, because doesn't life have a way of just pummeling us and and, and causing us to forget about our value in Jesus Christ? The pain has a way of, of making us focus on our circumstances rather than on what Jesus says about us, and what's more important is what Jesus says about us. 
that we are salt and that we are light. And so let's take some time to look at these metaphors and kind of practically unpack these metaphors and what Jesus is getting at. And so first of all, we are salt. We are salt. And again, this might not seem like a big thing to us, but in Jesus' time, this was a huge deal. In fact, there is an entire book written called Salt, A World History. Did you know that? Someone woke up one morning and they're like, I know what this world needs. (laughs) A book on salt. And oddly enough, Netflix just bought the rights for the book. And Nick Cage is going to be starring in it as, I think, the salt. So I'm just kidding. That's not really happening. (laughs) Some of you were like really excited, like, wow, I can't wait. Um, But in this book, the author, he explores this Roman saying that I'm going to say and probably butcher now because someone's going to be like, no, it's actually pronounced this way. Um, Nil sole et sale utilius. Did I say that right? Anyone know Latin? Is that close enough, right? Nil sole et sale utilius. And, and, and translated, it means this. Nothing is more useful than sun and salt. Nothing is more useful than sun. And isn't this exactly what Jesus is getting at here? No, nothing is more important than salt and, and light. And so salt was so important back then because it primarily did two things. First of all, it, it, it flavored food. And second of all, it preserved food. It flavored food and it preserved food. And so first of all, Jesus says that we are salt because salt adds flavor. It's what it does. It seasons things. It makes bland things more enjoyable. And so then as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who have been loved and accepted by him, gifted with this identity and this value, listen, your very purpose your very presence, your existence in your relationships and, and, and where, where, you, where you live and where you work and in your families is to draw out the best in others. That's your calling. Your calling is to enter into different spaces and places and draw out joy, draw out hope, draw out encouragement in places of discouragement, in places of darkness. This is what we are called to do as salt. We are called to bring out the best in the world. We are called to bring out the latent potential in other people. And not only that, salt doesn't just flavor, salt also preserves. Now, this might come as a surprise to some of you, but back in Jesus' day, there were no refrigerators, And so in order to preserve food, they had to use salt. Any kind of food that had value, they needed to use salt to preserve it. And so then as salt, Jesus has placed us in this world to preserve it amidst the decay and the corruption that we encounter. And so what Jesus says to us as salt, he says, wherever there's brokenness, that's where I send you. Wherever there's an injustice, go and be salt. Wherever there is a hurting or broken person, that's where I send you. Wherever there is an abuse of power, that's where I send you. Go and be salt. Wherever there is gossip, wherever there is disunity, go and be salt. And so if you ask yourself in your life, why did God put me in the family that he put me in? Why did God put me in, in, in the job that I work? Why did God put me in the church <laughs> that I'm in? Why is our church in this specific area, this location? The answer is because we are the salt of the earth. And not only are we called to draw out the best in others, we are also called to work against the decay and the corruption and the brokenness and the injustices of this world as well. We are to be salt 
But not only are we salt, we are also light. We are light, but not just any kind of light. What kind of light does Jesus say in verse 14? He says, you are the lights of the world. You are the light of the world. And so not just of your home, not just of your workplace, not just of your neighborhood, we are called to be the lights of the world. And again, just to remind us, it's not that we are going to be a light and it's not that we have a light, but Jesus says, you are the light. And this isn't a new identity for the people of God. We've seen this throughout the story of scripture back in Isaiah 51.4. God says to his people, pay attention to me, my people. Listen to me, my people. For I will issue a decree. I will make my justice a light to the nations. And later in 60 verse three, he says, nations come to your light, kings to your bright light. In John seven, Jesus calls himself the light. But here in Matthew five, he he turns the attention toward us and he says, no, you are the light. Now this is kind of a dumb question, but but what's the purpose of light? What's the purpose of light? To To see, right? Light reveals things that would otherwise be hidden. And light is most effective where? In the darkness. The function of light is to scatter darkness. And so as a result, we are called to be light to the people around us walking in darkness. Jesus is calling us to bear witness to the world around us so that they would see him and glorify him. But how do we do this? How do we shine our light in this world? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 16? Look at what he says. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before people so that, right, there's the cause, they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. So we radiate light, we bring light into this world according to Jesus here in this passage Through our good works, people will see the way we act and live and behave and it should be different and distinct from the world around us and that will cause them to look to our God and glorify him. Now some people might push back and say, well I thought our calling as the church is to preach the gospel, undeniable. I can't disagree with that because if I did I'd probably get fired, right? But but we are called to preach, but here Jesus He draws our attention to this reality that as the people of God, we are called to go out and serve and love. And so next week, we are not gathering, not gathering here. We are gathering in other places around this community through Community Serve Day to serve our community, not because we just feel this like latent obligation to do that, but because Jesus calls us to that. Jesus calls us to go out and to serve, to selflessly give of ourselves. And so again, I'll push it one more time. If you haven't signed up yet, communityserveday.org. Sign up because listen, what Jesus says is that when we as a people go out and, and live and love and serve other people, people will see that. And Jesus is like, something amazing is gonna happen. They're going to see that. And they're going to look to me. They're gonna see those good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. And so we're not gathering next week and serving in order so that people would be like, wow, Arbor is great, or or, wow, those churches that are gathered together, wow, those churches are so great. No, no, we're hoping that, that, that as we do this, people will be like, wow, like, their God is great. Jesus is great. And so, so we are salt and we are light 
And we're able to do more than we know because we are more valuable than we can imagine. However, up until this point, what we've done with this passage is we've simply looked at like the blessings and the goodness in this passage. But also in this passage, what we see are a couple of very important warnings that we need to really take seriously as a church. So just as much as we take seriously the blessings that Jesus has given us in this passage, we also need to take serious the warnings. And so let's look first at this warning in verse 13 says this, Jesus says this, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. And so the first warning is this, don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose your, stay salty, but a different kind of salty than all of you who were critiquing me last week about the way I said jiff or gif or whatever it is, okay? It's more of like a Jesus-y kind of salty, okay? Don't lose that saltiness. Now, now the question that some scholars ask about like this salty question is like, how does salt lose its saltiness? And they pose all these different things and they present all these different options and ultimately, like we're not gonna explore all of those things. Ultimately, what I think Jesus is getting at is this, that when you fail to be distinct from the world, you're no longer effective in the world. That's what Jesus is getting at. When he says don't lose your saltiness, he's saying when we fail to be distinct from the world, we're no longer effective in the world. Now let's talk about this for a second because this can go a couple of different directions here, this kind of conversation here. Like, like I grew up in the 90s. Do we have any other 90s kids here today? Any other, come on, let me hear it, 90s kids. Any of you remember the 90s? Yeah? Some of you, yeah, you were there. It was great, great decade, fantastic decade. I grew up outside Chicago in a home. We went to church. It was a Christian family, and and we we kind of had this weird thing. Like maybe you're kind of if you kind of grew up a Christian in the 90s, you maybe had a similar vibe because what we would do back then, at least, is we would like see something that existed in the world, yeah, and then we would like kind of do like a copy of it, and it wouldn't be as good. But like we, that would be our thing, right? Like so like instead of listening to like Nirvana or Pearl Jam, you'd listen a third day, right? Because the voices kind of sounded the same. Or instead of listening to like MXPX, or I mean Green Day, you'd listen to MXPX. Or instead of wearing like an Abercrombie and Fitch shirt, you'd wear a shirt that looked like this. Yeah. Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing, I may or may not have worn that shirt in high school, I'm, I'm just, that's for you to decide. Um, and you can rock those shirts and you can listen to those, that's totally cool, do your thing, listen. But if that's the level at which we're like, that's how we're going to be distinct, I think it's pretty superficial. I'm not sure it's really tremendously effective because I think what Jesus is really addressing here is, is we have to ask ourselves this question, where is my allegiance? What am I most committed to? As we navigate this life as followers of Jesus, would we not forget that our primary citizenship is the kingdom of God? And would we not forget that we are to be first and foremost committed to King Jesus? Unlike the world, we should be distinct and that we shouldn't be enraptured to or beholden to the, the philosophies and ideologies and politics of this world. Would we be different? Would we be committed to King Jesus and would we be peacemakers 
in this world? Would we hunger and thirst for the justice of God in this world? Would we be meek? Would we be merciful? Would we weep with those who weep? Would we serve and love others sacrificially? Would would those be the markers of how we are distinct as a people of God? And the early church got this really good. There's this philosopher in Athens named Aristides, and he wasn't a follower of Jesus himself, but he wrote this in the second century AD, observing the the Christians around him. He said this, they walk in all humility and kindness, and falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. And if they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call each other brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit of God. And if there is any among them that is needy and poor and they have not the abundance of necessaries, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. Isn't that awesome? That, that's, that's the reputation that I want for our church, for, for, for us. But in order for that to be a reality for us, for Arbor, we need to be absolutely committed to King Jesus. We, we need to be so rooted in our calling and in our identities that Jesus has gifted us, that, that we are secure in that so that we do not lose our saltiness because when we fail to be distinct from the world, we are no longer effective within the world. And that's the first warning. Don't, don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose your saltiness. Here's the second warning in verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. And so the second warning is this. Don't waste your light. Don't waste your light. How does one waste their light? How do you waste light? Well, let me ask you this. If you're nowhere near darkness, how effective can your light really be? Don't waste your light. You know, one of our, one of our tendencies as Christians is, is to, to get kind of our lights, our flashlights, so to speak, right? And, and we go into like the safest and brightest spaces <laughs> And we gather together and we shine our flashlights and we're like, isn't this great? (laughs) And we kind of create these like very kind of somewhat strange subcultures as a result. And we become so different than those around us, but not in an an effective way. We, We begin to become incompatible with the world in a certain way. We're no longer able to speak their language. And you see, this is not the way of Jesus at all. Jesus constantly found himself in, 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 these, in these areas of life where he was engaging with those who were overcome and trapped and beholden to darkness. He spoke their language. He, 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 had, he had meals with them. He, he loved them. He served them. He cared for them. And I think one of our fears as a church sometime can be that like, hey, like I'm afraid to go into those places, into that relationship and really engage well because what if I'm overcome with that darkness? What, what, what if I'm sort of lured that direction? And listen, Jesus prayed in John 17. We call it the high priestly prayer. He prayed for us. He prayed for the church. And you know what one of the things was that he prayed for us? He didn't pray that we would be like removed from the world and, 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 and like taken out that way, but he did pray that we would be protected. And if Jesus is praying for me, I'm feeling pretty good about that, right? 
He prayed that we would be protected as we enter in and engage and we use our lights in an effective way. We, we go out into the world and, and people are drawn to their creator as the result of the light that radiates from the way that we live. But listen, we need to make sure that we use our light lovingly. We need to make sure we use our light lovingly. There were these trails uh, in Michigan, where, where Carrie and I, we, we just moved from, and um, these trails were right on Lake Michigan, these really cool trails, and at night, they had these lights all throughout the trail, and you could go walk on these trails at night, and so our, our neighbors across the street were going to um, walk the trails, and so they invited us to come along with them, and so we went with them, and they're the kind of people who are like really prepared. Do you have friends like that? Where they're like prepared for like every single scenario, and so they brought these flashlights, with them, just in case there were any parts of the trail that weren't really well lit up. And so we're walking along this trail and we're with our kids and naturally, the kids get their hands on the flashlights, right? And, and with flashlights, there's an effective way to use a flashlight and there's an ineffective way to use a flashlight, right? What's the effective way of using a flashlight? You take the flashlight, you turn it on, and you shine it on the darkest parts of the trail so you can see where you're going, right? Common sense, right? <laughs> What's an ineffective way of using a flashlight? Straight to the eyes. Yeah, exactly. You got it right. And which way do kids typically pick right off the bat? Straight to the eyes, right? And so that's what they were doing, and we we're trying to tell them, no, 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 you can't do that because it makes it actually more difficult to see where we're going. And you see, we are called to be lights in a dark world, but when we use our lights to expose others for the sake of judgment and condemnation, we actually end up using our lights in the darkest way possible. It's like shining a light straight into someone's eyes. It makes seeing what they need to see way more difficult. It's tremendously counter-effective when our communities choose to use our lights to point out the wickedness and corruption and decay in our world for the sake of judgment and condemnation. Instead, a more effective way of using our lights is to, is to use our light and expose the brokenness, expose the injustices of this world, but not to condemn it, not to judge others, but so that we would work to bring peace to those situations. So that we as a people would go in and work to bring the harmony and wholeness and healing that this world so desperately, desperately needs. Let your light shine before people so they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. That's how it's supposed to work. So you are salt. You are light. You are able to do more than you know because you are more valuable than you can imagine. And I know that there are people in your lives that desperately need you to be salt, desperately need you to be light. Maybe for some of you, the, the step this week is, is, to, is to pull that person aside and invite them to church and be like, listen, you need to join me. My life has been changed by my relationship with Jesus. And just come along one Sunday and experience and see what God has done for me. For some of you, maybe you have a relationship that's not quite there yet, but, but inviting them to dinner and bringing them into your home and caring for them. For some of you, maybe it involves taking that water cooler conversation to the next level and inviting them out to coffee and getting to know that person and asking them questions and speaking words of life and encouragement into their life. Maybe, maybe you have some situation in your life where you can see a, see a broken situation or some sort of injustice 
And God's calling you to be a light there, to bring his peace, to bring wholeness and healing into that situation. And maybe for some of you, it's as simple as going to communityserveday.org and signing up (laughs) next week for the service day. Maybe that's the step that God's calling you to do. Either way, my hope and my prayer for this week is that God would give us the grace and the strength not merely to be hearers of his word today, but to be doers as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your teachings. We thank you for your son. We thank you for this very clear teaching that so many of us are so familiar with, that we are called to be salt, that we are called to be light. Lord Jesus, would your spirit empower us with the grace and strength to do that this week. God, wherever you have called us, each and every one of us individually, Lord, you have gifted us with this value. You have equipped us with your spirit. And so would you give us the boldness and the strength to enter into our relationships, to enter into our homes, our family life, our our workplaces. God, wherever you send us, Lord, would you equip us to be salt? Would you equip us to be light? Lord, we we take seriously your warnings and, and we know, God, We know, Lord, that there is a risk of of, of losing our saltiness, of wasting our light. Lord Jesus, we pray uh, that you would would help us to not do that, God. We know there is grace when we fail. There is grace when we stumble. But this week, Lord, we as a church, we long to be obedient. We long to be salt. We long to be light. Would you help us to do that this week, we pray. Amen. So Jesus is the light of the world. And uh, the night that Jesus was arrested. Um, He gathered his disciples together for a meal, and I'm not quite sure the disciples really understood the magnitude of what was happening in that moment, but at that meal, Jesus, he he, he grabbed some bread, right? And he grabbed that cup of wine, and he said, this this bread is my body, which I give to you. And this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And he gave that to his disciples. And again, I'm not even quite sure the disciples really understood what was going on because in, in Mark and in Luke, they, they, they took the, the bread, they took the wine, they ate it, and it says they sang a hymn and they went to the Mount of Olives and then that was kind of it, right? And hundreds of years later, we as a church, we continue to practice this really beautiful, ancient ritual of remembrance. And that's what we're gonna be doing this morning. And so while the band sings this next song over us, would we just take these next few moments to really remember and reflect upon the reality that Jesus, as the light of the world, he came and he entered into the darkest places. He entered in the darkness of our world, the darkness of our own hearts, and he brought that that healing, that wholeness, that harmony we've been looking for. And so when you're ready, you can just go ahead and move to the sides of the room and grab the elements and, and take them whenever you're, you're ready. But let's do that now. Let's just take this moment to remember and to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. <laughs>